What is going on, friends? Thank you for joining us for the New Vision Podcast. We here at New Vision believe that the gospel transforms lives. So we're going to take an opportunity to open up God's word and see what he has to say so that we can take the best next step to become more like Jesus. Hey guys, it's another New Vision Podcast. Cloud with you here. We're continuing on through the book of Joshua. I'm in chapter 10 today. Let's dig in. I'm kind of excited about this one. Uh, so it's more battle stuff. So hopefully you guys are sticking with it. Thank you for Dakota yesterday. Did a good job talking about what has just happened uh, today. Yesterday he talked about the Gibeonite deception. You know, the, this uh, nation that's around Israel in Canaan comes and deceives Israel to, to force this kind of treaty. Israel doesn't pay attention and doesn't, you know, see through the deception and doesn't consult with God and ends up being in this alliance with Gibeon and realize they've been lied to. So we're, well, that's kind of where the story is picking up at, this political, like Game of Thrones kind of struggle that we see in the land of Canaan. What is Israel going to do for the rest of the conquest that they've been commanded to do to seize and, and to take hold of this land that is already theirs? So we're picking up in Joshua chapter 10. This is verses 1 through 15, and of course I'm reading out of the ESV. Now Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, pause. Jerusalem, this is obviously just the name of the city. This is well before Jerusalem is synonymous with the nation of Israel. Okay, so just this is a Canaanite king who's in this area that is now known as Jerusalem. So anyways, now Adoni Zedek, king, Canaanite king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Jephiah, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. That's a lot of names. Verse 4, this Canaanite king said, Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, because the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Verse 9. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them all along the road, going up from Beth Haran, and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makedah. As they fleed before Israel on the road down from Beth Haran to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Verse 12, on the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, 
till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Now that last section, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on. It's, it's, it's He's quoting poetry, obviously, from this non-scriptural book of Jashar. And so there's poetry there, and that just kind of goes in how you how you interpret. Did the did the was it literally the the sun stopped in the sky, and that's what gave them the victory, or is that just a poetic license of Joshua describing this victory? That's up for y'all to debate. You can do your own research, but I wanted to not focus on that. I wanted to focus on one of this the biggest points I see here in chapter ten, and that is that God is constantly bailing us out. I love that point. I mean, that's just take it home today. Whatever, wherever you're listening to this, just take that home. God is constantly bailing us out, and we see him do that with Israel over and over again. So God is constantly bailing them out. Israel, they had all the ingredients for success at Jericho, and at the last minute, they failed at the mop-up operation when Achan steals some of the plunder for himself, and then the whole nation fails. You know, they're they're only as strong as their weakest link, and Achan fails. And so they failed there. And then Israel failed at Ai by not sending out their full force, thinking they're overconfident. And so then they they have this defeat at Ai. Then Israel failed with the unapproved Gibeonite alliance. Now, you know, we, we can talk about the nuances of that, and if it's well, why is the, you know, is this approved or not? But the point is they didn't consult with God, and uh, it, it doesn't go well for them, uh, but God redeems that nonetheless. And so that's the point is like God bails them out all the time, constantly. In his providence, he redeemed that Gibeonite deception, but now Israel stepped in it. And so when we look at this story here in chapter 10 from a circumstantial or, or worldly perspective, let's look at all these different categories of the way that Israel is continuing to fail. I mean, just just without God, this is an utter failure. So let's look. Number one, they Israel failed politically. In verse 5, it says, The five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem and Hebron and Jarmuth and Lachish and Eglon, joined forces. The five kings joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. I mean, you, you think about when they originally went in, Israel had Yahweh with them, and they had this reputation, and they crossed the Jordan, and the way they left Egypt, and it's like, politically, you know, the Canaanite region is, is, a, is an area of upheaval and constant power struggles, and all these nations are divided, and now all of a sudden, because Israel had been in this unapproved treaty with Gibeon, now they're failing politically. So now they're given an opportunity to galvanize all these other, let's call them Axis powers, all these other nations who are not really buddy-buddy with each other, but now they have a political you know, aim to, to take out Israel. And so that Israel fails politically, and then they fail psychologically because they're these nations that they're supposed to sack and just go in, and, and God's given them to them, and, and it would be easy because of God, God's with them. But now all these nations... Because they're allied together and they're seeing all these different things that are not necessarily the best, 
they're no longer intimidated by Yahweh. I mean, get into the head of the Axis powers, as it were. You know, you can, you can think of the the king of Jerusalem of Adonai Zedek is his name, and he and he's just thinking and be like, well, oh, what what what's the situation from the scouts? Wait a minute, Israel's using human military tactics. I think we can go up against that. Wait a minute, they allied with Gibeon. Hmm. I guess their Yahweh isn't as impressive as we thought he was. You know, we see this in verse four. He, this king of Jerusalem, this Canaanite king, he says, come up and help me attack Gibeon because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. And so because of the psychology of Israel doing this unapproved alliance, well, now the, the other enemies like think, well, maybe we've got a chance. Maybe we can outmaneuver and out-tactic Jerusalem here. And so then that goes to the next point. Israel failed tactically. They failed politically, they failed psychologically, they failed tactically. Look at verse 7 and then verse 9. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. So he's leaving no garrison behind. They're behind enemy lines. These aren't all the nations in Canaan. They could be overrun, and their civilians overrun at any point in time. So he's leaving with all, with no defensible garrison left behind. And then verse 9, after an all-night march from Gilgal, Armies who march all night before going into battle don't win. I mean, that's just common sense. I mean, you're not putting yourself in the best position for a tactical and military victory by, by marching all night. It might be the element of surprise, but you're going to be worn out for the type of battle that they're going to be fighting. So all of this, you know, failing politically, psychologically, tactically, all of this and more has all the ingredients for complete and utter disaster for Israel. At worst, and at best, something like a really long slog, like the, all these nations and, and fighting, and it's almost like, think of World War One. you know, this four-year-long, all these nations allied with each other, which is brutal, bloody mess in Europe, and just kind of a stalemate because of all these alliances. And so Israel has stepped into that when they could have, in a better way, gone the way Yahweh intended them. And, and just with the intimidation psychologically and politically and, and tactically that they had, but now, you know, they've stepped in it. And so God bails them out yet again, he bails them out. And so I hope you see that over and over through Israel's history, but in the book of Joshua is that he's telling them to do something. They don't do it right. He bails them out. He tells them to do something. They don't do it right. He bails them out. He bails them out. And that leads us to the second point, and something I think is really practical, is that God loves to bail us out. God loves to bail us out. When I read stuff like this and all the failures in, of Israel, you know, if, if I was God, and, and thankfully I'm not, but I know my emotions and my response to a lot of these stories is like, <sighs> You, you allied with Gibeon, you know they're lying to you. Okay, all right, I'll bail you out again. Like, oh, what do you do? Oh, okay, I'll I'll rain hail and and you know darken the skies and all that. I'll give you this battle. I'll destroy the. Okay, again, you know. But I don't think that's God's disposition towards us. I think you know we know enough about God's character and the rest of scripture and Jesus that he loves us and wants to bail us out. Not only because he loves us, but for his own namesake. He is love. That's his in his character. 
And so I think that's super practical that number one, God is constantly bailing us out. Number two, God loves to bail us out. He's not like me where he's, I'm like, okay, you doofus. Like I'll get you again. Like I think he's not surprised by any of this. He's commanding them to do something. He knows they're going to mess up. Yeah. He bails them out. Anyways, he's love. He loves to bail us out for our good and his glory and his own namesake. And so today, bro, you're listening to this. You failed. Hey girl, you, you messed up today. Me, we all failed all of us. And if we didn't fail in our actions, well, then we probably failed in our motives. But guess what? God loves to bail us out. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank God. That's the takeaways. God bails us out. He loves to bail us out. Thank God. Whatever you're doing today, thank God that he bails us out. And we have that perpetually in Christ because of what he did for us on the cross is the ultimate bailout. Y'all have a great day focusing on that. I hope it, it, it causes a sense of gratitude to overwhelm you. Thank you so much for listening to this, and we'll see you again on Monday. Have a great weekend. Thank you guys for joining us for the New Vision Podcast. As always, we hope that you heard a word from the Lord and that you can better walk and reflect Christ in your everyday steps. To find out more information about New Vision, you can go to newvisionlife.com or follow us on Instagram at newvisionlife. Again, we're for you, we love you, and we look forward to seeing you back here on Monday.